Thank you, Pastor Wilson. You owe me big time. <laughs> well, it's just a joke, okay? If it's recorded, it's just a joke. <laughs> and uh, it's a pleasure to support one another uh, in the ministry. Uh, we know that things may not always go the way we plan because of the scheduling and so on. Sometimes we may overlook and it is okay, All right? Now, uh, don't be in a hurry to leave after the service is over. Uh, don't rush off. Uh, we have monthly fellowship this, uh, this morning, curry puff and milo and tea as well. Do go down and have uh, fellowship uh, with one another. Now, before we jump into the Word, let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank You for Your presence. We thank You, O God, for everyone who is here this morning and, what, and Lord, what a privilege it is to come and worship together uh, as a PCC family. And we ask the Lord God for the remaining time of this service. Father, we would like to invite your presence also to move mightily, O oh God, in the preaching of your word. That Father, may we hear what you have got to teach us this morning. May we surrender our lives to you. May we submit our lives to you. And may we walk, O oh God, fervently with you, O oh God, because you love us, O Lord. So, Father, we just pray to God for those who are weary and tired, Lord, you will restore to us our strength, both mental strength as well as physical strength. We ask, O oh God, that may we listen to what you have got to teach us this morning. And, Lord, I commit myself uh, into your hands. And, Lord, I give you full uh, liberty to override what I've prepared and Lord, I also pray that God, out of this, your name will be glorified and magnified. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. 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 Now, all of us know that a couple of weeks back, PCC celebrated our 38th anniversary. Now, for 38 years, it's not a short time. Actually, it is a long time. But one of the hallmarks of Penang Christian Center is that we want to thank God for always maintaining the peace and unity in PCC. Not only, not only in the English zone, but also across the language zone. The Hokkien, the Mandarin, and Bartworth. And it is a privilege. Because for a church to go through major conflict is something that is very ugly. And very sad because it's, it is the church of God. And it saddens the heart of God whenever He sees conflicts among His children. So we want to thank God for blessing Penang Christian Centre with peace and unity. And, you know, we also want to thank all of us who are here that all of us do accept each other, do love one another, submit to the leadership, and we move together as a family of PCC and I believe that this gladdens the heart of God because God dwells in unity. God dwells in the love uh, of His people towards one another and towards Him. However, we cannot say about what is happening outside in the world because when you read the newspapers or even you tune in to CNN or BBC or Al Jazeera, you'll find that there are conflicts in this part of the world, in this part of the country, among ethnic groups and so on. And so, it is not something which we 
welcome. It is not something that we look forward to. We hope that there's more peace, we hope that there's more tolerance, and so on. But conflict, as we know, is inevitable. You know, uh, you know quite some time back, one evening, Pastor Chai B and I, we were having our dinner at the Politicus Market. And as we were enjoying our dinner, we noticed that there was a man who was seated at the next table, which is very near to us. In fact, the next table only. He was alone, he was eating his dinner, minding his own business, and then later we saw a lady that walks up to him. And there was an exchange of words, and by then, they caught our attention. Our ears were tuned into the conversation. And I know that this will not end well, because it was getting very heated. And the lady told the man that finally, I track you down here. All this while, you have been avoiding me. All this while, you have been on the phone. I was wondering why you have always been on the phone when you are home. So when you put two and two together, you know that this is husband and wife. And the wife said, I've, I got somebody to track you, to trace you, and you are having an affair outside. You are keeping a mistress outside. And so the man was trying to deny. The more he denied, the, the angrier the wife becomes. She took the cup on the table and splashed him on the face. Then he got so angry, he used vulgar words against her. And because he used vulgar words against her, the wife took her hand back and whacked him on the head. He got up from the table, he grabbed hold of the wife, and they knocked into the next table. Pastor Chai and me quickly jumped out of a table as well because we don't know where, whether he's going to come in a direction. So there was a bit of shoveling and pushing, and finally the man grabbed her. She, the, 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 the woman went hysterical. The woman went hysterical. The man grabbed the, the husband grabbed the wife and walked across the, to the car park there. She was still screaming and fighting and so on. Everybody was looking. Then after, all, after they left, everything calmed down. I was looking around my Pastor Chabi. I said, what are you looking at? I said, I, I don't know whether is there a shoot, a movie shoot here or not. Maybe the director said, cut, scene two. <laughs> but there was no movie shoot. I told my wife, hey, this is the real deal, man. This is the real thing. Now, I'm not excited that husbands and wife fight in the public. But what saddens is that there is a conflict that has gone public. You see? And today we want to learn how you and I can actually reduce or maybe do away with conflict, whichever is possible. Because for some of us, you may be going through a conflict. Either with your spouse, with your children, with your working colleagues, with your supervisor. And today we want to learn how we can handle conflict and fights. Shall we stand together as we all read together the 17 verses of James chapter 4, verse 1 to 17. Let's all read loudly together. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit? He has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, moan, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes instead. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Kindly uh, be seated. You know, in James chapter 4, verse 1, we just read, James asked two very good questions. And it's an important question. And the questions are, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He asked us two important questions. And then he gave us the answer in verse 2. He says, you, you desire but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You see, from here we can learn that it starts off with the desires that is in you. You know, all of us have desires inside us. Desires are emotions. And if you and I do not know how to handle and how to manage our desires, it will become a monster. Because it all starts off with the desire and it, it all starts off from your heart. It is bubbling inside. It's fermenting inside before it manifests itself. And when it manifests itself, James chapter 4 verse 2 says, you begin to kill because your desire has overtaken you. You begin to plan, to scheme, and to plot to get what you want. And because you cannot get what you want, you begin to quarrel, you begin to find faults. You begin to look for ways to start a fight. And so the word desire here comes from the Greek word hidon. It's not udon, okay? For those of you who are thinking about your lunch, Japanese lunch, it's hidon, not udon, okay? Hidon. This is where we get the word hedonism. 
What does hedonism mean? It means that it demands immediate selfish satisfaction. It has to do with pleasing oneself, that means yourself, at the expense of other people. A yearning desire for the five Ps. What's the five Ps? That's possessions, power, popularity, position, and passion. Now, such selfishness can lead to many, many sins. Is it wrong to desire for all these five? I want to let you, let all of us know that it is not wrong. It is done correctly. But if it is, but your intention to get to all these five Ps is at the expense of other people to kill them because you covered inside your heart, then that is very, very wrong. Because God does not intend for us Christians to behave like this. And by the way, James chapter 4, verse 1 to 17 that we just read is addressed to Christians. These are what we call carnal Christians. One step in the world, one step in the church. But as they continue to be attracted by the things of the world, their allegiance and their faithfulness to God begins to shift. There is a shift. And by the way, going after the things of the world doesn't come overnight. It doesn't come like that. It starts with a desire inside you. It is slowly progressing you if you, do, if you are not aware about it, if you do not realize it, before you even know you are already conformed to the standards of this world. You are already in, in the sight of the world. So possessions, power, popularity, position and passion, these are very attractive things to dwell, uh, to, to dwell upon if it is negative, if we don't handle it well. It's all about me, I and myself. When I was growing up, there were people who used to say the five C's. How many of you can remember the five C's? Ha, huh, there are a few hands here. Yesterday at 8 o'clock service, no hands came up. First service, there, there are hands. Yeah, the five C's. What are the five C's? Cash, condo, credit card, cars, and country club. After the 5, 5.30 service, there's a young man who came. Pastor, there's one more C. I said, what's that C? Concubine, he I said, oh, yes. I said, yeah, concubine. You see, this, during my time, these are the things that attracts us students. That we, When we grow up, we, we hope to have all this. So you see, nobody has to teach us to be pulled by the things of the world. As, as a young kid in school, we, we naturally have that bent in moving towards the things of the world. So here we learn that when you and I have a quarrel, it starts from inside because of your desires. Don't look to your spouse as your enemy. Don't look to your children as your enemy. James is saying that look inside of you. It starts from you. That's where the conflict begins. The source is selfishness. For some of us here, you may say, Pastor, 
This explanation is just too simplistic. Then I would like to suggest with you, quarrel with the Word of God. Don't quarrel with me. Because this is what James said. You may be telling me, Pastor, if only you know the circumstances of the conflict that I'm in. You see that it is much more complicated than that. Let me explain what my supervisor did to me. What my wife did or did not do at home. What my husband did or never do at home. What my children, you don't know my children. And you will notice that in any conflict, it is always the other party. We never seldom say that it is my problem. You see, as pastors here, we do counsel those who have conflict. Husband and wife, parents and children, sometimes even uh, members with their office supervisors. So we hear them out. One of the things, the, the hardest thing that we realize is that they start to learn to take responsibility for their own actions as well. Stop blaming one another. Because you see, for a marriage to fail, it doesn't have to be only one side. There's always two sides. People say you take two sides to tango, you take two sides to dance. So when you and I, we start to take responsibility for our own actions and not to point fingers, I believe that we can resolve conflict in our lives. So the first step to conflict resolution is to look inside yourself, acknowledge your own selfishness, and to take responsibility for your life. Let's move on to the next verse. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, the question is, they are Christians, right? Why didn't they, why didn't they pray? Why didn't they ask God? Isn't it a natural thing for us to do? I hope we do. We pray first before we do anything. But in this case, like I mentioned, they are carnal Christians. They are already drawn towards the things of the world. They are already scheming. That's the background. They are beginning to cover their angry people. They, they, they just are so attracted to things of the world. When you are angry, when you are angry, you can never pray. You will never pray, especially when you are in the car, your son did something wrong, pushed the, the right button, you went ballistic, you were so angry, you can pray. You cannot pray. Even if you were to pray, it would be a very self-serving prayer. God convict his or her heart. God revealed to him his disobedience and so on. So we find it very difficult to pray when we are angry. Not even with your children, even with your spouse. When you're angry with your spouse, you, sometimes you find it so difficult to pray. Maybe you, say pray. Maybe you pray, God zap him. So they are angry, they are coveting. They were scheming, they were plotting how to get the five Ps. So that's why they don't pray. They were just waiting for another fight to appear because they were so distracted by the things of the world. They were so distracted by their own selfish desires inside them. How about when they come to their senses and begin to pray? Even when they come and pray after their scheming, they come and pray, and pray and pray, God, now I come to you. But here we found that 
James said that God didn't answer their prayer because why they ask with the wrong motives. What is the wrong motives? The clue here, the wrong motives is that it is not for the good of others. It is so that they may spend what they get on their pleasures. It's all about them again. About me, I, and myself. God, you answer prayer. It's all, all only for me. For my glory, Lord, not for your glory. And that is why God doesn't answer their prayer. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 to 10 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and, and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. In other words, right now in this auditorium, God is looking at our hearts, including mine. He knows the motives, the desires that you and I carry inside. We may not know, your wife may not know, your son may not know, your neighbor who is sitting next to you may not know what motives you have, what desires you have in your heart. But I want to let you know that God knows your heart, your motives. And so when you and I come into the presence of God to pray, understand that the main purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done, but to get God's will done on earth. Because this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the Christians that James was addressing, this is how I believe their prayer would be. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is why God didn't answer their prayer because it is for their own pleasure. You see, prayer is not what... We, Prayer is not that we can use God. It is so that God can use us. And in verse 4, James called them, addressed them as you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Here, James has taken off his glove. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 of James, he calls them brothers and sisters, my brothers and my sisters. But here, he changed. He no longer addressed them as my brothers and my sisters. He took off his glove and he punched them and said, you adulterous people. Why adulterous people? It is harsh. And I'm sure they are shocked that they now address as adulterous people because simply they are unfaithful to God. Because they choose to be a friend of the world. And now they are called to be an enemy of God. You see, when James used this analogy, he was using the picture, an example from the Old Testament to remind them that a covenant relationship between Israel and God as a marriage, with Israel as the wife and God as the husband. See, when Israel worshipped other gods, the prophets accused her of committing adultery. You and I today are Christians and you and I have a relationship with God. And I pray that all of us have not shifted towards the things of the world so much so that in the sight of God, he may say, you adulterous child. 
None of us may know, but God knows because He looks at our heart. So where are you today? Are your, both your feet firmly planted in doing and walking in the will of God? Or is one leg already in the world and one leg in the church? And therefore you struggle at times when God asks you to do something. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. Serve God and mammon. You have got to make a decision today whom you want to choose to serve. Because if you choose to continue to move towards the things of the world and run after the pleasures of the world, then you will be conformed to the standards of the world. But if you continue to move towards doing and loving and giving your full allegiance to God, then you will be transformed into the image of God. So there's no other way. Conformed or transformed today for all of us. That's why 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, you and I are reminded that do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Here John, in 1 John it says, that everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that was where Eve was tempted in the Garden of Eden. She ate the fruit. She disobeyed God because she was deceived by the serpent. And then she sinned. She failed. She failed by just that one simple command. Do not eat. But the thing is this, that Jesus also faced the same temptation. He went through the same temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, when he was in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. But he overcame. He became victorious. You know why? Because Jesus knew Satan came with Scripture verses, but only half-truth. And Jesus quoted and corrected by using and, you, and appropriating the Scripture verses properly. That was how he defeated Satan. He defeated Satan with the Word of God. Now, if you and I do not even equip ourselves with the Word of God, all it needs is for the devil to come and whisper into your ear, did God really say? That's what the serpent asked Eve. Did God really tell you this? If you do not know your scriptures in and out, you will be confused, you will be deceived, and you will be drawn and dragged, and you will fall. So friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. We should love God as a believer who is married to Christ. Then James went on, Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Now, here, he's still talking about the marriage and he's still talking, telling us about God as the husband. All of us who are married here, men, if you are married, you will never, never 
want your wife to keep in touch with her ex-boyfriend. Same as wives. You will never want your husbands to keep in touch with his ex-girlfriend. You cannot say it's okay lah. He can have his time with his, ex, with his ex-girlfriend and time with me. No, I think every spouse will be very jealous when it comes to this. And they ought to be. Because if not, then you'll begin to question the love of your husband towards the wife and the wife's love towards the husband. And that's why he's saying that if a husband can be jealous over the relationship that his wife or the husband is involved in, what more God? The Bible says that our God is a jealous God. He tolerates no rivals. And because of this, God wants us for our own good, for our own good, that we give our total allegiance to Him. He becomes angry when we are drawn towards the things of this world and its standards. That's why he said, James tells us that we become enemies of God. We cannot flirt with sin. We cannot flirt with sin and still continue to follow Christ. So the next question is, if that is the case, then how can we be fully devoted to God? The answer is from James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So James is telling them, you are all very carnal. You are now being addressed as adulterous people now that you have been called the enemies of God. But there is still hope. There is still hope for you. And the hope is that you come back to God. Humble yourselves before the presence of God. And he uses the word grace. So it seems, what does... More grace for some of your, your Bible, it says greater grace. What, does this, what is this more grace or greater grace that James is talking about? It simply means that his grace is greater than God's wrath. That means God's grace is greater than God's wrath. You see, it is never intended in God's heart that you be severely judged when he comes again. It has always been God's desire to love you, to bless you. And that's why he says that greater grace is given to you. But this grace is given to whom? This grace is given to those who are humble. You'll be given the favor of God if you're humble. So what is the definition of humbleness or humility? I like this from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Now, there's a difference. Thinking less of yourself means you will always tell yourself, I cannot earn. Other people can do better. It is okay. Other people can do. And you think that you are being humble. That is not humility. True humility, as what we have just heard, is that it is thinking of yourself less. That means it is, you are not a person who is so full of yourself. It is not someone who wants to be attracted that this is the platform I'm, attract, attract, I'm attracted. I mean, I want all of you to, be, to look at me. No, no, no. It's think, that you think of other people more. They give other people an opportunity. It is nothing to do with false humility. But there's also a warning. If you are proud, 
God will oppose you. God will fight you. So let me ask all of us here today, are you humble or are you proud? Are there any wrong motives or hidden affections going on? Are you seeking to find satisfaction apart from Christ? Do you find yourself turning to the pleasures of the world instead of allowing God to satisfy you? So God says, come. Come. James chapter 4, verse 7 to 10 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grief, moan, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. When you want, if you want to come and return to God from being a carnal Christian, this is the solution. Submit to God. The Greek word for Submit is hypotasso, which means to obey. Hypotasso comes from two Greek words meaning under and you place yourself under, or to place oneself. Hypotasso is a military term that compels us to follow the command given by the superior. When a private begins to try and act like a general, there is going to be trouble, that's Warren Wisby says. Now, in other words, what Warren Wisby means that if you are a private, act like a private don't act like a general. You come under the authority that you have been placed in. You see, we are placed, we are to place ourselves under God, but we are also told that we are to place ourselves under the different authorities that is submit to government authorities, to church leadership, submission to husbands, uh, of husbands and wives to one another, submission of wives to husbands in marriage. Of course, the ultimate person that you and I, we need to submit to is the sovereign authority of God because He's the God of the universe. And it should be obvious to everyone that it is most unwise for you and me to rebel against His authority because you and I, we cannot win the fight because He's God and we are not. See, in order for us to submit to God, we must come with humility See, obedience requires us to humble ourselves, to surrender to the authority of another. And we are told that God resists pride, the opposite of humility. You see, having a, a humble and submissive heart is a choice that you and I have to make. See, we daily have to make a choice to submit ourselves to God for the work that the Holy Spirit does in us to conform us to the image of Christ. You and I, we have to choose to submit to God. It's a process of learning in order to grow spiritually. I remember at one time when I was sitting in the youth committee, that time was Brother Michael. Michael Brother Michael Chung was a youth advisor. I remember the statement that he made. To be a good leader, you must be a good follower. Because if you, are, you cannot follow, you cannot lead. And so, if you are a follower, you have got to submit yourself under the person who has been placed over you. But it is possible to obey without submitting. Obedience is an outward action, while submission is an inward attitude. Let me repeat, obedience is an outward action, while submission is an inward attitude. It's never easy to submit. Sometimes it's never easy to obey. Case in point was when I was 
In the early 1990s, I was at the Penang International Airport. At that time, there were two uh, flights that came in, international flights, Thai Airways as well as Singapore Airlines. We cleared the Thai, Thai Airways passengers. The only remaining one was Singapore Airlines. By the time we practically cleared 99% of the passengers from Singapore, there was one lady, last lady, who made her way past immigration. She was carrying her luggage. I was there and I said, Miss, can you please open your luggage? The minute she opened her luggage, I saw an LV handbag about this big. Louis Vuitton handbag. The tag was there. I did a, uh, uh, I did a calculation from Sing dollar to Malaysian ringgit. It was about between 10 to 15,000 ringgit on that bag. She, the, the tag was there. And I said, you have to pay tax for this. And I said, it, that time was 50% of the price. So, it's a, so we take a ballpark figure of, of 10,000. So it's about 5,000 ringgit she's got to pay. She said, this bag is not mine. I said, then it's very easy. You just, you just surrender your, this handbag, call your friend now, and then tomorrow ask your friend to bring 5,000 ringgit, pay to the Malaysian government. We will issue you a receipt. She refused. She said, cannot, I've got to take the bag. I said, then you pay 5,000, you, you can go. She began to cry and cry and cry in front of me. I said, miss, no matter how, how much you cry also, I cannot let you go. I said, you owe the, the Malaysian uh, government 5,000 ringgit. Then I asked her, if this bag doesn't belong to you, why you start to cry? Doesn't make sense, I said. The other thing also is, if it's not your bag, why is it you, I find, you find it so difficult to take up your phone and call? I said, for any other person, you have taken up the phone and said, hey, sorry, uh, your bag, I've got to surrender because customs detained. Tomorrow you come and come. But you, 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 all this you cannot. You insist that you must take it up. So my supervisor came. My supervisor came. Hey, what's the problem? Uh? I said, I explained to, to him. Uh. Then after he look, look, look. Okay, I let her go, la, let her go. In front of me, you know, she let her, let her go. I said, no, how can you let her go? This one who is going to answer if ACA were to stand outside. At the time, the time when we were working, ACA used to come into our airport no? and say, and declare I'm ACA. Uh, we are from the ACA. Now it's called MACC. So came. But I said, who's going to bear? I said, we have, been we have been standing here already, talking for so long. Outside people are looking. People say, oh, release finally. Cow team already. La. Uh, sure, under counter money paid, that's why I released. But I said, no, I said, we should not. They said, never mind, let her go, let her go. I said, okay, you're my supervisor, I will release. I obeyed, but I was not ready to submit. So I said, okay, la, lady, you go. The minute she left, I, I looked at my supervisor, I said, I said, I disagree with your decision. And he said, why? I said, first of all, she has got to pay. Secondly, do you know that she is not a bona fide traveller? And he asked me, what do you mean by not a bona fide traveller? I said, bona fide traveller. I said, I looked through her passport. Practically every week, one month, of, she flies in and out of Singapore for so many times. I said, she is not a holiday maker. She goes there for business trip. 
And I said, this bag probably will end up in her shop. And I asked my supervisor, do you think that when she enters the car, she will think very highly of you by releasing her? Do you think she will thank you? Then he thought about it. Then he said, I said, I see where you're coming from. And, 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 and um, he said, but anyway, the decision is made. I said, okay, fine. Finally, I had to submit to him because why? He is on top of me. Was it easy? No, it wasn't easy. It was very difficult for me. And so that's why I say that sometimes obedience and submission is two different things. See, a mother ordered her disobedient son to sit in a corner. After sitting for a few minutes, he told his mother, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. He obeyed, but he didn't submit. Some of us over here may think, I will spank this child if he's my child. But the thing is, is that, you know, actually there's a, a, the, the, the behavior of this little child is in many of us. Yeah. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to take responsibility for your own life for certain things that you have been doing. You're arguing. Could be that resolve the, the, the conflict between you and your spouse. Resolve the conflict with your, with your boss. Resolve the conflict with your children. But you keep on procrastinating. Or maybe there is certain area in your life that God is saying that what you're doing out in the world is wrong. And therefore, you have got to stop doing it, stop doing that, and learn to live a lifestyle of godliness, not a lifestyle of the world. And you cannot obey, and you cannot submit. Maybe after that, you come to God. Okay, like God, this is the deal. I will still come to church every week and worship you and pray, and then I will also give generously. But then, when I'm out, it's a different thing. The thing is, is that you are negotiating, you, you, you may be obeying, yeah, God, I obey you in this part, but I'm not ready to submit. In this. But God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to submit to Him totally. Do not let God's, do not be God's enemies and do not let God oppose you. Submission to God means we voluntarily align ourselves on the outside as well as on the inside with God and His Word. You see, God does not require us to submit because He's a tyrant but because he is a loving father and he knows what is best for you and for me. Next, he says, after you submit, then you, you resist the devil and he will flee from you because the devil will not let you go off so easily. The devil will still come and whisper and disturb to you. He's going to deceive to you. The thing is, is, what are you going to do about it? Well, James gave us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Stand your ground. You can tell the devil that I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to change this. My lifestyle that's moving forward is going to worship God and submit to God. You see? And then come near to God and He will come near to you. The first thing is, James is saying, you've got to come near to God. Come near to God means what? You've got to change. You've got to ask for, you've got to ask for forgiveness. You've got to repent of your ways. You have got to turn 180 degrees and walk back to God. Why is this come near to God? Why is it that you and I have to move first? Because you and I, we moved. God never moved. God has always been there. 
It is us who have moved away from Him. So now, James is saying that now you move back, take a step forward to God and He will come to you. That is a sign of repentance. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3 says, Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Now James now tells us that in order not to have this conflict, we need to stop slandering others. Now last week we hear from Pastor Jaslyn that slandering involves the tongue. But now in the 21st century, slandering can involve your finger because nowadays we talk with our fingers more than we talk with each other. Yeah? And so you can post malicious messages, especially in the Facebook, if you don't like a certain person. You start to post here, you start to post there. With the intention of what? Especially Facebook, when it's is public, everybody can read. What is your intention? Your intention is to slander. Your intention is to spoil the reputation of the person. That is what it means. So James chapter 4, verse 11 to 12 says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save or destroy and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So slander means defaming someone or damaging his reputation by sharing false or intentionally misleading story. It is always wrong and it is a sin. If you are doing that, please, for goodness sake, stop doing that. If you know of someone who is doing it, please ask them to stop as well. Even if you know and it is half-truth or maybe true, the reason you are sharing it is to make yourself look good and to put down the other person in a bad light. That is also wrong. If your motive in criticizing someone is out of jealousy, selfish ambition, rivalry, pride or hatred, then you are judging wrongly. It is the motive of your heart again. It's your selfish desire inside you. If another person has offended you, you do not need to judge that person because God will judge the person. You don't play the role of God. You don't be God. So how do you and I resolve this? The biblical way to handle is taken from Matthew chapter 18, verse, verses 15 to 17, which Jesus teaches. Go to them first. Tell them what they did wrong. Keep it between the two of you, just two of you. You approach the person individually. Secondly, if they won't listen to you, then take one or two others with you as witnesses to your conversation. If they also refuse to listen to the witnesses, then tell it to the church. Don't bring it up only to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, then don't treat them as a brother or sister. Treat them as you would treat an ungodly person or a tax collector. That is the biblical way. That is the Christian way to do it. It is not to, after you approach the person personally, the person refuses to listen, then you start to propagate. You start to share with other people, oh, this terrible guy, you know, not this terrible lady. No, no, you should bring other people and talk to the person. You see, by judging others, you are acting like God. We should not play the role of God. He will righteously judge. It is not your place to do so. Our role is to submit to God. Our role is to be humble before the presence of God. 
James then moved from talking about conflict and going after the things of the world, and he ends with doing the will of God. Because when you talk, when we talk about submitting to God, resisting the devil, and take a step towards God, it means that you and I are ready to do the will of God. And he tells us this story from verse 13. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. The man described in verse 13 is making a lot of plans for his business trip. All of us need to do some planning at one time or another. You see, planning can be defined by this. It's defined by very simply as thinking ahead and make decisions to do certain things for future events. Planning is a very good habit to cultivate and it helps us to make some efficient use of our time and resources. Winston Churchill said this, he who fails to plan, plans to fail. So if your plan fails, maybe it could be that you have not planned properly. You see, if we live without planning at all, we would accomplish very little in our life. For example, if you are a student, and we know SPM is coming very soon, you, you, should, take, you should make plans to study and revise well for each paper. If you are a homemaker, you will probably plan the meals your family will have for a few days so that you will know what to buy from the market. If you are working, you probably will need to plan your work schedule so that you can complete your projects and meet the deadlines. If you are traveling, you probably want to find out the route that you are going so that you will be able to book the accommodation and you will be able to find out how much money you need for that trip. That's all planning. In the Bible, Paul was a firm believer in making plans. At the end of his second missionary trip, when he was about to leave Ephesus for Jerusalem, he told the believers there in Acts 18 verse 21, but as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. So Paul evidently was making plans to return to Ephesus. How about John? In 3, in 3 John chapter 1 verse 14, this is what John said, I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. He was writing to Gaius. So John was also planning to visit Gaius very soon. Now this, there are many examples, but I believe these two examples are sufficient for us, that it is all right for us to plan. See, God is not against us planning. What He is against is when we make plans with a wrong attitude, an attitude of self-sufficiency. When we make plans without God, when we think that you, we are able to do things without God, we leave God out of the picture. In James chapter 4, verse 13, look at the quality of this man. I believe every employer wants to employ him. Verse 13 indicates that this man is, is not unethical. This man is an ethical man. He's not unprofessional. He plans ahead and is self-confident, hardworking, disciplined man, goal-orientated. He is profit oriented For him, failure is not a possibility. It's not even in his vocabulary. And I believe that's why I say that every boss would want to have a staff like that. Who doesn't want? He needs very little supervision. The only thing is this man does not include God in his plans. And this is not a good way for us 
It is not a good way for us to emulate this man who make plans without God. But you can emulate him because he's a hardworking man, he is a disciplined man, he is very, very focused in what he does. So James chapter 4 verse 14 says, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Because why? This man, he makes plans as if that he's going to live forever. The truth of the matter is that you and I, we don't even know what will happen 10 minutes from now or after the service, let alone tomorrow or next year. On Friday, many of you who are in a cell group, you all went out for your cell meetings. You would have expected that the evening will, will be the same like last week and the two weeks before, whereby the weather was very fine. None of you expected that at about 10 o'clock, we are going to hit by the tail end of Typhoon Lamika. Strong winds, trees fell down, cars were smashed. Until today, Penang Island is still a mess. You see there are two trees that are still lying on our AMPM and also our neighbour. None of us really expected it. Because why? We think everything is the same. No. Ten minutes after service, you may not even know what's going to happen. In other words, you and I are not in control, but God is. You and I are not in control, but God is. You see? You and I, we don't know our future. Only God knows. Only God is in control. So this man was assuming a lot. He was assuming that he would wake up tomorrow, travel safely to the next city. His business would make, a, make money within a year and things would go well for him. He believed that he can be the captain of his own life. He forgot that he had no control of his future. So what the scripture tells us about our life is very clear. Verse 14 again says, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. If you have a hot cup of coffee afterwards, when you go out for lunch, you'll see steam coming out from your coffee. But the steam doesn't stay there for long. Within seconds, it disappears already. You cannot see it hovering. It disappears. That is your life and my life. It's very, very, very short. That's why Moses asked us to number our days. Psalms 90 verse 10 to 12 says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80. If our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here we are told that it's about 70 years old or 80. Let me ask all of us here, what is the lifespan of Malaysian? Different countries, lifespan different, no? What is, anyone want to make a wild guess? What is the lifespan of a Malaysian? How many? 70, 75. I'm so happy that none of you said 94 because we cannot take our PM's lifespan as, 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 a, as an example because he, is, he received a bonus, okay? He received a bonus from God. Now, according to... 
the WHO data which was published in 2018. Life expectancy in Malaysia is for male 73.2. Female is 77.6. Ladies, you live longer than us. And total life expectancy is 75.3, which gives Malaysia a world life expectancy ranking of 7.1. So, guys, ladies, if you are in your 80s, thank God for it. God, thank you for extending my life. You see? Corey Ten Boom says, it's not the duration of life that is important, but the donation of life. What does it mean? It simply means that since life is so brief, we cannot afford to spend our lives and we certainly do not want to waste our lives. We must invest our lives in those things that are eternal. Not on things for our own pleasure, but for things that are eternal. You see, friends, you and I, we may die at any time. And the Bible says, after we die, it is appointed unto men once to die and then judgment will come. You may die at any time. You see, friends, today, some of you may have gone for your medical checkup. Your doctor gave you a very good report. Cholesterol, fantastic. Level, fantastic. Glucose level, fantastic. Oh, you give your pet on the back. Holy oh, man. You know why? I eat well. I eat organic food. I eat healthily. I sleep early. I exercise a lot. You know, and you say, ah, I've got many more years to go. Or you may drive very carefully on the road. You don't simply overtake. On the highway, you keep to 110. Not because of AES, but because you are very careful that you, you don't want to meet with an accident. And you take all kinds of precautions so that you can survive. By the way, in the highway, Accidents do happen, all right? But the thing is this, you and I can take all the measures. It is God who determines when your life and my life will end. It is not up to us. Take for example from Luke chapter 12 verse 20. God was addressing this rich man. He says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. You see, this man will not be able to tell God, God, wait, please wait. I need to carry out all my plans first. I cannot die now. Let somebody die. Not me tonight. God, no. When God says it's time for you to go, it's time for you to go, your life will end whether you like it or not. You see, our life is like a mist. In other words, we do not live forever here on earth. I expected my sister to live like me until old. I don't know where, when I'm going to go. But I didn't know that she's going to die at the age of 40 plus before she hit, hits 50. Whereby she met an accident along Slim River and she died on the 23rd of December 2016, the day we were traveling out from KL to come out to Penang to celebrate my father's birthday. That was the end. What is supposed to be a joyous occasion of celebrating my dad's 80th birthday has now been turned into a day of mourning. That was in 2016. 
So you think, so, so you see, friends, our life is very short. It's like a mist. The question now is, are you investing your life in the things that are eternal? That is the most crucial thing. So we have learned of three reasons why we should never plan without God. Firstly, we are not in control, but God is. Secondly, we do not know the future, but God does. And thirdly, we may die at any time. So which begs the questions, how then should we plan and not leave God out of it? How do we include God in our plans? Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 15 to 16 says, instead we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So there are five guidelines that I'd like to share with all of us how you and I can plan according to the will of God. First, plan prayerfully, asking God for His guidance. You see, learn, let's learn from the life of King David. David was a very successful king because he developed one very good habit, and that is he consulted God before anything else. He consulted God first about every decision that he made. Secondly, plan without making any boastful assumptions. Never assume that things will turn out exactly the way you plan it. Always be wise and realistic in your planning and make allowances for unforeseen circumstances. Thirdly, do not include anything ungodly or unethical in your plans. You see, your plans will never receive God's blessing if they involve sinful practices which He hates. Always make your plans with Psalm 119 verse 101 in mind. And that is, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. Fourthly, plan with eternity's value in view. Be sure that your plans look far beyond your life in this world. It will be very short-sighted planning just to attain glory and success in this world and nothing more. In order to do so, you must turn to Christ and make Him your Savior and Lord. In other words, you've got to return to God and put God first. The legacy is don't stop at your life. Let it flow down into the lives of your children because after you and I live, they must carry on the legacy of living a godly life. Fifthly, submit your plans to God and allow Him to make changes to your plans. God may order our circumstances in such a way that they force us to take a different path from what we had planned to take. And if that happens, we must be ready to accept it. It would be wrong for us to feel disappointed if God does change our plans. We should just accept it and say, Oh Lord, your will be done. Your ways are higher than my ways. In other words, you are saying that you'll not argue with God, you'll not fight with God, you'll not get bitter with God because God decides to change your plans. You say to God, let your will be done because you know much better and you hold the future. I'm, in, I'm not in control. You are still in control. You see, it is so easy for all of us to say, oh, I will follow the will of God. Is it? It's much more difficult to apply the truth into our lives. In order for us to do this, let us learn, learn this, and that is God is God. I'm not God. 
He is sovereign. I'm not sovereign. He controls the future. I do not in any way control the future. And because of this, verse 17 says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So at the end, James is asking us that you and I, we need to do something with our life. Our life that can touch other people. Many of the time, we only think of sins of commission. That means things we know we should not do, but do it anyway. Lying, stealing, fighting. According to James, our real problem as Christians is committing the sins of omission. Things we ought to do, but we don't do. Helping the needy. Encourage somebody. Bring the gospel to somebody. Evangelize them. So let us be obedient to what God wants us to do today. In the area of conflict, seek reconciliation. In the area, if you, are, if you know that you have been shifted, shifting away from God, today is a time for you to come back into the presence of God. If you are a proud person, then be humble. Don't let God fight you. Don't let God oppose you. Come back with a heart of repentance. Come and ask for forgiveness at the end. So today we are called to stop chasing after the things of the world, to stop conflict, to stop slandering others. This is not what we are called to do. We are called to submit to God and to return to Him and to be faithful to Him. I like this quote from, from Howard Hendricks. It's about decision-making. Today, all of us are called to make a decision. And the late Dr. Howe Hendricks says, it is time for us to make decisions today. You see, you are free to make choices. You are not free to escape the consequences. So what will be your decision today? If your decision is, Pastor, I'm not ready to make a decision then I want to tell you that you already made a decision not to make a decision. See? So friends, there will be consequences if you choose not to come back to God. What is your decision today? Will you be like Joshua? Let's stand together as we read this scripture and I will end. What is your Decision. Today is a decision-making day for all of us. Let's read Joshua chapter 24, verse 15 says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Is this what you want? Because this is a decision that Joshua, before he passes away, addresses all the Israelites. Choose today whom you want to serve. Because as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You see, I like this uh, last quote from Charles Mayers. He says, make sure the things you are living for is worth dying for are the things that you are chasing after, the things you are desiring for. Is it worth dying for? With all eyes closed this evening,
And this morning, sorry, with all eyes closed this morning, with no one looking around. You see, this is a sacred time between you and God. If you are ready to come back to God and to submit to Him and to humble yourself before the presence of God, and you are ready to say, God, tonight, today, I want to follow like what Joshua said there. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I want you to put your hands to your heart as a sign. Not to me, but to God. To say, that God, this is my decision today. This is what I want to do. Let's, if you are ready, you just put your hands to your heart. Say, Father, we thank you, O God, for the hands that's been placed over our hearts this morning. The Lord, we know that by choosing to serve you, we are making the right decision, O Lord. Father, we know that, Lord God, it is never easy, O God, to journey. We know that we will be easily distracted once again. But Father, we ask that may you seal our hearts, O God, with the precious blood of Jesus. May you seal our hearts, O God, with the power of the Holy Spirit as well. Guard our hearts and guard our minds, O Lord. And that, Father, we will always walk humbly before you, O God. That we will always submit ourselves to you. And the Lord, we will always include you in all our plans, O Father God. Father, we ask that you will help us, O God. Holy Spirit, you will help us. You will empower us, O God, to, to always be attracted to you, O God, and not to the things of the world, O Lord. Father, we just pray that God, even now, for those of us who may be struggling, O oh Lord, in how we can move back to you, O oh Lord, Lord, you will give them the wisdom, you will give them the boldness, you will give them the courage to take that step to return back to you, O oh God. Father, we know that, Lord God, your word says you look into our hearts, O oh God, and you know their struggles as well. And Father, we ask that you will empower them, O oh Lord. The Father, in due time, those who are struggling will surrender totally to you, O God, so that, Father God, your name will be glorified, O Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.